Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Alrighty, back here. Happy Friday, you guys like it that I drop podcasts on Fridays now? It used to be if you're if you're a long time first gen hunter listener, you know that Thursdays were the day. And I chose Thursdays for a reason. I thought, you know, there's a whole psychology that goes into Thursdays. You just you wake up, you got just a little bit more pep in your step on Thursday because you're over the hump. You're you're just a day away. It's the weekend eve. And uh, you know, it feels pretty good. But then I got super busy after I moved and had another kid, started a new job, and my consistency on posting went far away from once a week. Uh, and uh, so I, you know, had to just kind of scramble everything up for a while, and then eventually I settled back in where we have the Pick and Bones episodes dropping on Tuesdays and the full-length podcast of the week dropping on Fridays. And the reason I chose to do that was because... I noticed there weren't a lot of podcasts that come out on Fridays. But I will take one second here to uh, remind you that I do host another podcast um, with uh, my coworker, Nicholas. He also hosts a podcast, so I guess you could say we are both co-hosts or something like that. But um, uh, that podcast is called The Prairie Farm Podcast, and this Friday, so if you're listening to this, like it's today, uh, you can tune into the Prairie Farm Podcast and catch our first part of a three-part docu-series that we've spent months on. I think we did our first recordings for it back in January, and uh, we've been working very hard on that, and it is awesome. It's about uh, kind of the history of prairie, but this first episode we're talking about um, you know, all the crazy critters that were living right here in the Midwest and throughout much of our country during uh, the last ice age. So we'll talk a bit about mammoths and ground sloths and and so on and so forth. So tune into the Prairie Farm Podcast. Catch that episode. But, uh, no, it's so good to be here today with Ben Klusman of Sodak Horizon, which has just an awesome logo. I'm looking at his logo right now because we both live out in the sticks. We started out with, you know, with the videos going on our video chat tonight, but then we're like, Hey, uh, you know, we'll probably get better quality sound if we, uh, kick it back down to just, uh, audio only. And I'm staring right at that beautiful Sodak horizon logo right now. And that thing is sweet. Love the colors on it, man. You did a good job with it. And I love the, uh, outline of your state and everything, the font, Man, you're 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 a born marketer, whether you know it or not. So the logo actually was not my idea. Um, it was uh, so I had a, a partner a while back when we first started, and uh, and that was his job was finding the logo, and he settled on this one, and this was the one. He actually had three that he picked, and this was the one that we both liked the most, and so we picked it both, but. Uh, I wanted to go with something a lot less cool than this. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, well, it looks awesome. So kudos to your uh, former, uh, your former uh, partner in crime there. But you know, I kind of had a similar story when I started first gen hunter. I started playing around on some of those free like logo 
building apps or whatever. And I put together one that I thought was pretty sweet. And uh, when I sent it out to my uh, sister-in-law, who does a lot of uh, content production for a, uh, a, a, a big blogger out of Australia, actually, um, uh, and then also she runs her own business, her own photography business. And, uh, she, so she's like in tune with this stuff, you know, she's having to do a lot of, uh, you know, not just like photo editing, but also, you know, she makes little logos and stuff for her boss and, and things like that, I think. And so I send out this thing that I worked so hard on, you know, and I thought was pretty good. And they were, I sent it out to her and my brother and they're kind of like, Oh yeah. And, uh, and then I'm like, hmm, hmm, they must not think it's that great or something. Well, then like an hour later, out of the blue, uh, my sister-in-law, Gigi, sends me the now first-gen Hunter logo. And I think it's a pretty sweet logo. She designed that thing, and, uh, um, uh, you know, it's like, wow, that just totally <laughs> destroys whatever I spent hours creating. <laughs> And it just is a reminder, like, you can think you have a really great idea, and then you see somebody else's idea compared to yours, you're like, yeah, I definitely don't have all the answers. Well, and it's funny when you talk to people that know what they're doing, it it, it very easily makes you feel like you have no idea what you're doing. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I think that's kind of just like maturing. You know, I imagine you and I are probably pretty similar age. Um I think as you mature, you just become more comfortable with that. You know what I mean? Like you, you just trust the experts a little bit more on a lot of things. You know, once you know they're an expert, you don't, you know, you don't take, I think, I think it's kind of the, the other side of the coin is you don't trust anybody to be an expert until you see them prove themselves as an expert. Whereas when you're young, if somebody tells you they're an expert, Hey, they're an expert. But uh, once you know, once you know you can trust them as the expert, you just kind of sit back and uh, allow them to uh, make it happen, you know? Yeah, and I think that also is, it comes with, as you get older, you kind of build a team around yourself of people that, you know, mm. I, I always say that I'm an expert in referrals. So I might not know what I'm doing, but I probably know someone who does. Yeah. Um, and so I often find myself messaging multiple people saying hey i had this idea it's in your wheelhouse what do you think of it and they'll sit there and they'll pick it apart and they'll be the devil's advocate for me and they'll be say but this is how you fix it this is how you make it better try it this way do this and so um i think also that is a part of of kind of knowing your weaknesses and finding people that uh, can compensate for them as well to surround yourself with yeah that's yeah that's that's a great point as well um you do. Yeah. And honestly, you know, that's been one of the best things of doing the podcast. I never had an Instagram profile. Of course I had Facebook, you know, but I never had Instagram until, um, I started first gen hunter. And before that, my wife would be like, you should get an Instagram. And I'd have, I was a, a high school biology teacher at the time. And I'd have students be like, you should get an Instagram. And I'd be like, no, I'm never doing that. I'm not, I don't need any of that. But then I was like, when I started this, I was like, you know what? I should probably get an Instagram and, you know, sh to share content on and everything. And, and, um, once I did, I just started networking so much more with people that had similar interests, but different experiences. 
and especially being you know a first gen hunter where i'm you know learning as i go that's uh that that's been critically helpful i just interviewed uh last night brad willie of uh now big wood big woods bucks formerly uh uh white mountain buck trackers um he uh is just a a phenomenally experienced i don't even know if that's a good phrase there just a greatly experienced individual who does some of the most hardcore whitetail hunting there is to do and to be able to like sit there and talk with that guy and know that guy's in your corner that's pretty special so but uh ben and i we were we were talking we've been following each other pretty much uh, i think since the beginning since i first got my account and uh it's been fun watching you grow man yeah it's definitely it's definitely been uh, a ride um you know instagram i was kind of the same way uh, i i really didn't have a personal instagram i didn't really have uh i didn't really have any for social media because i i didn't really see the value in it and so uh when me and my partner decided hey we should uh we should we should start trying to make a go of this we realized how expensive it was to try to get you know tv recording stuff that you need and yeah. to get on the outdoor channel and all the all the people you have to know and we decided you know social media is much more valid way to do that nowadays than it was even 10 years ago and so we decided hey let's put an instagram again let's get facebook going let's get youtube going and so we just kind of started everything together at the same time and I'll tell you what there's a lot of in and outs to social media that you would not think to think about until you are actively growing your channels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's just it's it's insane. There's there's so many in and outs, and there's algorithms, and the algorithm changes, and and you know certain things are good and certain things are bad. And if you do this the wrong way, then it's really bad. But if you do it the right way, it can be really good. And um, you know, it's just been. It's been a, an interesting ride for the last three years. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you seem to have it figured out pretty good. Do you feel like you? Do you feel like you're just a, uh, you know, a blind squirrel finding an acorn more often than most others, or have you kind of started to figure out the algorithms and and uh, you know um, notice the trends that you really need to get on at the right time. So I, I kind of, I'll, I'll say I'm a little bit of both. Um, so for a long time, I actually incessive, incessantly researched the best possible ways to grow on Instagram and YouTube mm. uh, and even Facebook a little bit. And so I'd be, I'd be watching YouTube videos. I'd be listening to podcasts. I'd be listening to marketing people, media specialists, and all this stuff. And at first I was like, man, this is helping a ton. Like this is, this is booming. I'm, you know, for a while I was getting between three and 500 new followers a week. Um, wow. And things were just, it was going super, super fast. And then, uh, I, it was about a year ago and maybe a year and a half and the algorithm started changing almost weekly. And so I would find a video that was two weeks old. And, and then, uh, after I got done watching that whole video, the next video would be posted two hours later and it would say, this is all wrong. Everything we thought was right isn't. This is the new way to do it. And I'd rush that one and everything that I just spent the last 15, 20 minutes watching and writing down and trying to figure out how to implement was wrong. And I had to do it all completely different. So that was the point that I decided, you know what? 
I think I know enough and I think I, I have enough information to be dangerous. And then I just kind of started experimenting. So uh, I, I started just kind of putting in my little two cents into everything that I had learned and read. And, and, and then it just kind of, it started booming. Um, so I went from about 5,000 followers uh, probably a year and a half ago. And now I'm at 11.5 thousand. So it's, it's no crazy jump. I mean, there's, there's people that that's that pretty good. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, there's people that say they can build an account and in 30 days, they can have a hundred thousand followers or 50,000 followers. And, and, you know, I, I'm sure if, if I quit my job and I got rid of my kids and my wife and I put a hundred percent of my effort into something like that, I, I think I could probably do that. But, you know, I, I do it just enough to have fun with it. And I spend just as much time to be successful at it. Um, but I, I definitely, I, uh, social media is such a small part of my day that right. it, it gets just as enough attention as it needs. Yeah. Yeah. People might be listening to this right now and be like, why are you guys talking about this? And why do you even care about that? Well, when you are a content producer, you know, that first of all, we do this stuff because we're passionate about it. It is a passion project. I have not made riches, untold riches on doing first gen hunter. And again, if you've been following since day one, I started in June of 2020 and, uh, start started my first releasing my first episodes. And I even started working on first gen hunter a couple months before that. So, you know, I've hung on and I haven't made a ton of money doing, I've made some, you know, I've made, made a, you know, a nice little chunk of change, I guess you could say, but not a, not a ton by any means. And, um, so why do I keep doing it? Why do I, uh, stay up late later than I want, you know, to edit episodes and get them posted because I really like doing it. That's why I get to talk to guys like Ben and I get to, uh, um, you know, hang out with, with, uh, friends that I've, had on the podcast maybe many times or hang out with uh, my co-host that I haven't had on the show in a while. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's all the main reason I do it. However, it is nice to, uh, be rewarded for that time. And so for a guy like, uh, Ben, who's doing YouTube, but also really, uh, active on Instagram, that's his way to get rewarded with maybe some free gear from a company saying, Hey, you got a, you got a large following that you can have some advertiser, uh, reach for us. How would you like to try out this new thing? Or, you know, maybe even get paid by some companies or whatever, uh, to do that. And that's where you can kind of get like some, some, you know, financial reward for the time spent doing this stuff and, and entertaining, which I think is totally worth it. Totally worth it. And, um, you know, there's, there's the whole Patreon side of things too. And, you know, you can do that and I'm not going to knock anybody for doing that, but, I don't know. I kind of like it that it's a, you know, a podcast is a free resource or that YouTube is a free resource, uh, for, for people to get in on. But anyways, when you can build those followers, like what we're talking about here, you can, uh, you know, you can get approached by companies to kind of live your dream a little bit. And, um, uh, maybe, uh, work within the industry, at least to some extent. So I don't know. Would you agree with all that, Ben? That's a hundred percent accurate. Honestly, um, when, when you, like for, for guys like us, 
Um, you know, you, you mentioned you're a first gen hunter. That's kind of in the name. <clears throat> I am a second gen hunter, first gen archery hunter. Mm. Uh, and I say that because my dad was a rifle hunter who would go out once a year with his rifle. We might go out pheasant hunting a few times. Sure. Um, and kind of and kind of do it that way. And it wasn't until you know I kind of annoyed him enough to get a bow that we started archery hunting. And from there, I mean, we we kind of went obsessively crazy over it. We you know hunting everything that we could. Uh, now I get four to seven tags a year to go out and go hunting. That's you know, cool. My dad is spending so much time in the tree stand. Uh, we we kind of conformed to this archery hunting lifestyle, which it really is a lifestyle. Oh yeah. Um, but it starts with a passion and so the joys of instagram in my opinion are being able well, the joys of social media in general is to be able to not only bring your passion to the table but also enjoy it and share it with others who either have set their passions or who really aren't sure if it's something they want to do i've had a, a lot of people actually message me and say hey i've never been bow hunting i've rifle hunted a few times is really that big of a difference and mm. I get to sit there and go, you have no idea. This is yeah. to try this and this and this and this and this and this. And and, uh, and so just being able to share your passion and, and to kind of give, you know, tips and tricks and ideas and, and, and what you're working on and being able to help people and, and, you know, doing gear reviews is a huge thing. I have a lot of buddies that I would say specialize in gear reviews. And so whenever I'm, I'm you know, so sometimes, like you said, I get approached by a company and they're like, hey, check this product out. Sometimes it's, hey, man, I'm about to drop 1500 bucks on a bow. What site would you recommend? As I see you've tested 15 of them in the last month. <laughs> what, which site are you talking about? You know, what, what was you be your number one pick? And so I'll get the top three picks from four different people. And a lot of times they line up pretty similarly. So, you know, it's, it's surrounding yourself with people that have similar yeah. ideals as you and similar passions yep. and it's just like you said i mean it's it's wonderful some of the brands that i've got to work with have been turned out to be some of the best people that i know in, mm. in the industry and, that's cool and, and granted you know people people think of the industry as like oh the outdoor channel and, and is you know going to the hunting expos and, and all this stuff and a lot of times for me industry is is you know a text message it's instagram it's it's youtube and so when I get to meet these brands face to face and be like, Hey dude, you like the bow hitch, for example, the bow hitch is one of the, I always brag about the bow hitch cause they're one of the first brands that ever talked to me and, and wanted to uh, look together. So Armando oh, with the bow cool. hitch is an amazing person. If you don't have a bow hitch, I a hundred percent recommend getting it because uh, one, it's an amazing product. It basically is a, it's a less than like two pound little metal thing that you hook onto your bow and then you, you tie a, a string around your bino harness or they got a strap that goes around your shoulder and it takes the weight of the bow off of your hand so it just it hitches to, to you that's cool so it's kind of like a bow spider um or a bow sling but it, it's in my opinion it's just a, a amazing thing it's super sturdy and foolproof and so getting to to help them grow their brand getting to get the word out about their amazing product and the kind of people that they are uh it, it's kind of a reward in itself you know I, I i haven't gotten a ton of free stuff from them i think they sent me one bow hitch free and i've paid for two or three of them because you know it's a great it's a great product but it's like yeah getting to, to support and getting to watch them grow and, and you know having our mom will call me and be like hey man i got an extra ticket to the ata show can you come and <laughs> that is so cool no. 
if my wife hadn't just given birth to a baby, I would be all over it, you know, yeah. but like just having those kind of opportunities that, uh, that you don't get, you know, like, like I grew up dreaming about being a part of stuff like that. And now, you know, 30 years old, I can say, yeah, you know, I, I had three different companies ask if I could go to the ATA show last year. And I had to say no to all of them because I just had a baby. Yeah. And I, I you know, I, wasn't going to leave my wife with him born in two other, you know, toddlers. And so, yep. but just being able to Good say man. that, I mean, that's a huge thing. You know, it's a huge thing for me. And so it's, it's definitely living the dream. And it's something that I never really thought I'd be able to do. And, and all it takes really is having a, a decent social media following. And I say decent, I mean, I started working with Armando and I had 2000 followers. Hmm. So we have, we have been friends for a long time. And then it, it takes, you know, a, an honest opinion and a true passion for what you're doing. And, and that's pretty much all it takes. And you can, you know, be in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I like how you said those last few words there. You can be in the industry. I think a lot of people think that um, to be a part of the industry, you got to be doing it as a full time job. And uh, I, you know, I, I definitely don't think so. I think if you can, you know, I remember, oh, maybe four years ago now, um, uh, Dan Johnson of the Nine Figure Chronicles, who uh, has been on this podcast, I think he's on episode 65 or something like that, 66, somewhere around there, mid-60s. And um, he, so I, I started listening to Dan when he was on the Wired to Hunt podcast with Mark Kenyon. He was the co-host there. And, uh, which Mark Kenyon has also been on this podcast, episode 100. Um, but I remember them going back and forth, you know, Mark had, oh, they kind of had this conversation. It might've been before Mark started working for Meat Eater, but Mark, to his credit, you know, once he started the podcast, he was, I think by the time he started the podcast, he was going full time with Wired to Hunt. And so he was working in the industry full time. Dan, on the other hand, was not. He had a he had another job, and um, Mark would always kind of prod him, be like, "Hey, man, when are you going to go full time? When are you going to go full time? When are you going to go full time?" And I think Dan made a comment once. He's like, "You know, eh, that's not going to happen." But I do make enough money to pay for all of my hunts each year, like. Like I can cover my tags and I can cover, you know, my gear that I need and, and fuel and stuff like that. And that really struck me. It's like, you know what? That is actually worth quite a bit of money if you can do that. And um, uh, that isn't working full time in the industry, but that's making a big difference for your uh, family finances. Cause let's be honest, we can feel a little guilty sometimes when we have to buy an expensive piece of gear. And I say have to, um, <laughs> a lot of times it's, we want to, but sometimes if, I mean, if you're going to do a hunt, you got to have it, you know, if you're going to go out West, you're going to need a backpack. You're going to need a good set of hike, hiking boots. You're going to need a good tent. You're going to need, you know, you're, and so that costs your family a lot of money. And so if you can generate that money, um, and cover those expenses, man, that's a huge win in my opinion. So this is kind of fun, fun that we're getting so, into this. That's definitely a conversation that me and my wife have a lot because, um, I, I wouldn't call myself a budgeting genius, but I, I do budget 
a certain amount of money aside so that when something comes up, I can, I can jump on it. I have a few little side things that I do outside that, that bring in a little bit of income for me as well. And so, uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll have a good chunk of the money that I need for whatever I want. And then, uh, I have to go in and talk to the boss about, about getting the rest. And so I, I go up to her and I say, Hey baby, how's it going? And she goes, what do you need now? <laughs> I look at her and I said, she knows I don't you too well. need anything. Exactly. And I always say, I don't need anything, but what I would like is. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and that's she always right. knows that's code for, I'm going to buy some more stuff that's going to hang in the garage. And I'm going to talk about how awesome it is and use it yep. a couple times and then find something else that I want to buy. And, yep. Uh, but no, that's that's 100% right. I mean, just being able to say that you're a part of the industry, which, I mean, in my opinion, if you have any kind of involvement with the outdoor industry at all, whether that's, you know, being a camera guy, whether that's, you know, filming your own hunts and putting it out there, whether that's just putting information out there like worth a podcast, I mean, you're part of the industry. I mean, I'm sure you can agree with me that this podcast has allowed you to rub shoulders or, or you know, talk to oh, a lot yeah. of people that are fairly involved in the industry um you know for yeah. example that i give is i got uh, i got the opportunity to host a veterans hunt last mm. last august for antelope season and so i got to bring a few veterans out to a, a private bow hunting ranch out west river south dakota called hell's canyon bow hunting ranch and so i i got to go out there and i started talking to the owner and, and dirk stark is the owner he's a really good guy if you guys are looking for mule deer antelope or turkeys hmm. look up hell's canyon bow hunting Didn't ranch know. in south dakota um, uh, but he he ended up donating two veteran hunts completely free of charge wow. and then a uh an organization from texas called over the edge outdoor funded another one and so we ended up getting three veterans out there total and just a super good guy, but it turns out he is, um, I would call him a, an unsung hero in the industry because, you know, you start talking to him and he's like, oh yeah, I work with this company and oh yeah, I, I, I manage this company and I do this this company and I'm like, these are all companies I've heard of, man. How come I've never heard of you? He's like, yeah. well, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not the face guy. I'm the behind the scenes guy. Yeah. And so we're sitting there one night and he pulls his phone out and he goes, yeah, you see this? You know, he's texting all these people that I watch on TV. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And that's when it fully hit me that was like, you know, we have this idea of industry being the guys that you see on TV, the Michael Waddells, the Levi Morgans, the, you know, all these, all these big names that you see on, on TV and, you know, Jackie Bushman. I loved watching Jackie Bushman growing up. That was, that was hmm. a hero of mine. I loved him freaking out the snakes was the thing. And so we get <laughs> this idea in our head that, you know, if I'm not Kit Campbell on, you know, six o'clock special on, on Outdoor Channel, I haven't made it in the industry. Yeah. And it, it kind of set in with me that it's like, you know, there is a lot of different facets to the industry that most people don't realize are part of the industry, but are 100% a part of it. And so I, you know, for the longest time, my goal was to, to make something like this full time to where I could, you know, this would be my job and I wouldn't have to worry about going to work. And it finally hit me that I was like, you know, I kind of like my job. I'm not desperate to leave it. I think I can definitely enjoy being a part of the industry in the capacity that I'm in and still have a full-time job right, and, and yeah. be just as committed to the industry that I am now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for certain, you know, and in a way, you know, my podcast kind of, you know, it's kind of the same deal. It, in a way it did pave 
pave part of my way to being in the industry full-time. So my full-time job now, I transitioned from being a teacher to, uh, for a year now, I've, I've been working on a, uh, uh, prairie flower and grass and sedge farm where I, you know, I'm growing habitat. You know, I just hung out with, uh, Steve Hansen today. You know, Steve Hansen has been on the, Exodus podcast. He's a great whitetail hunter. He's a land broker, so he sells you know all kinds of whitetail property to uh, people looking to to buy. And he you know does habitat management for his job. I've gotten to hang out with Skip Sly at work. You know, I've gotten to uh, uh, do podcasts and and meet some of the meat eater guys. You know, and go up to Pheasant Fest and get paid to be at Pheasant Fest and get paid to be at the Iowa Deer Classic and and a, and a lot of that came from you know doing first gen hunter and uh, you know when I applied for the job, it was interesting because when I when I applied for my last teaching job that I got. I put on there at that point is like, Hey, I've been doing a podcast, you know, on my, on my app, you know, my resume, I've been doing a podcast and, and, you know, doing outdoor writing, um, uh, which, you know, I get paid for that too, I guess. And, uh, uh, nobody was really interested, you know, when I interviewed. And then when I in- interviewed with, uh, Hoxie where I work now, that was a big deal to them. Oh, you do a podcast. Oh, Maybe you could help us do a podcast, you know, and it's like, like exactly like what you're saying, where that stuff opened doors that you never imagined it opening, uh, just by putting in that effort. And so, yeah, this is a really, this was not even in my, uh, outline to talk about tonight, man. This has been fun. It's, it's good to do this little deep dive. (laughs) Sorry to you listeners if you think this is boring, but it's. To, to Ben and me, a couple content producers, this stuff is uh, fun to nerd out over on occasion, you know. So before you before you move on and dis, cause yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you this right now. I think there are more people that are like you and me that are like, oh, I really want to start an outdoor podcast or I really want to start an Instagram page dedicated to, you know, blank outdoor industry because I'm super passionate about it. I have a little bit of knowledge that I can learn more and do stuff with. And I think the number one reason people don't is because of that mentality that everybody has about the industry. Yeah. Is, oh, you know, that that doesn't actually work. And, you know, these people have been working at it for so many years. Yeah. And and I think the coolest thing that I've got to experience is I had one person message me uh, a few years ago. And, and I, I didn't have very many followers. I didn't have anything really elaborate. Um, and they messaged me and said, hey, man, how did you get the idea to start this page? And I said, you know, I just... I wanted to something that I wanted to do and I enjoy sharing my passion, you know, kind of the same spiel I just gave you. I enjoy sharing yeah. my passion with the outdoors and God's creation. And, and I, I, I like just bringing that through film and, and, you know, I do it cause I enjoy it. And he goes, that's, that's really cool, man. I've been thinking a really long time about doing something like this, but I just, I just never pulled the trigger cause I just don't have the equipment. Hmm. And so I told him, I said, you know, up to this point, I have filmed everything that you've seen on a cell phone. Uh, yeah. the bow which, that I have, which you're probably, time, which you're, which you're probably, which we're probably having this conversation over right now. You, you know, not you and me, but the guy <laughs> that's messaging you, it's like, yeah. you know, that phone that you're talking to me on right now. Yeah. Every bit of my content has come from that tool right there. 
Exactly. And so it's like, you know, people, especially with today's technology, it's so easy to start. It's just this doubt that we have in yeah. the back of our head of no one's going to want to listen to me. I don't know enough to be to be able to, to, to do this type of stuff. Um, you know, I don't I don't have the right equipment. I'll tell you this right now. I'm not a bow shop. I've never I've never taken a single lesson on how to do anything with a bow. The first bow that I had uh, was completely 100 percent set up by a shop. And I shot mm. that for 12 years until I bought a new bow. And then I, I had almost everything set up by a shop. It wasn't until the first Darton that I bought that I had a bow press and a vice that I did it all myself. And guess what? I messed that bow up a lot. I have mm. a lot of, of buddies that do a lot of uh, bow work that I have sent pictures to, that I emailed about, that I called you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning going, what the heck did I do to this bow? It's just not tuned in the way I want it to. It's not doing this. So everything that I do that I post about, you know, the bow builds that I've been posting this year, the arrow builds, it is all trial and error stuff. It, I'm cool. not some expert. I, I never trained in a bow shop. I don't have a mentor that, that comes over and shows me stuff. I simply wanted to do it. I learned to do it and I tried it. And then I did it until I didn't fail anymore. Um, there's, I still have D loop tying things. I have a, a little picture that I have saved on my phone that gives me a quick step-by-step -step on how to tie a D loop because I haven't been doing it that long. So if I forget a step or it doesn't turn out right, I can go back and reference it. I mean, I, I'm not a subject matter expert by any means, but I, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to learn. I've had people message me on videos and they're like, hey man, just so you know, you did this part of your bow wrong. You might want to change that or you're going to break your bow. And I thought, hey man, <laughs> thanks for the heads up. I'm, I'm super stoked that you noticed that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. thank you. Or, you know, they they message something. I say, Oh yeah, I fixed that. Thanks. Thanks for letting me know. This is a, this is a video I took a couple days ago before I fixed it, but I appreciate it. Um, and so I think the biggest thing is just people holding you back. You know, I have, I have a fancy camera now and a cool drone and a couple other cameras that I've picked up because I had a buddy who's into marketing and, and photography and he, he upgraded. And so he, he gave me a deal on a bunch of cool stuff, but oh, cool. you know, every, everything that I have up till about a, a year ago has been shot on a cell phone. You know, I, I bought yeah. a hand-me-down Mac from a, for 200 bucks, and that's what awesome. I did all my editing on. You know, it's like, it, it, start with what you can. You yeah. don't have to have this big elaborate operation. Now, I mean, I have this cool, fancy office. We finished our basement, so I had them put an office in the basement. And uh, and then I, um, I, I bought a, a desktop computer because it's like I do enough work down here that I, I want to have something good that I can edit on. And I broke down, and I bought an editing software. And, you know, I slowly built up this this program that I have now to where, you know, I actually I do a little bit of editing for a couple other places that that aren't even outdoor related. Um, but it's like I, I started with a cell phone and and just doing what I could on that. And so it's like when people see these huge 50,000, 100,000 follower pages and they're like, wow, there's no way that I'm going to get to that level. Uh, and I, I heard this quote. I can't remember who it was from. It was on one of these. Out, uh, workout outdoor channel things and they're like you got to train for elk season uh, elk shape or something like that yeah and he goes you know when the best time to plant a tree was 100 years ago you know what the next best time is today yep yep and That's i was just like man that that resonates so much because you, you're never going to grow to be a 50 foot tall cedar if you don't plant yourself and yep. so if you want to get somewhere you got to start doing it otherwise you're just going to sit there and wish that you had yeah, very well articulated there. You know, it's if if you think you, you got 
you know, the interest in doing it or maybe the skills in doing it, you just jump in and give it a try. It's, it's, you know, I, what I would do, what I would encourage everyone is set a time limit, like an expiration date. You know, if I haven't found fulfillment or seen, uh, you know, real measurable, growth or success or a return on investment from doing this venture by year, whatever, then I'm going to get out. And if I, if I see it, if I do see it, then maybe I'll keep going. And, uh, you know, then it's not, you know, it's not until death do you part, uh, that, that you do this stuff, you know, but the other part of it too, that, you know, and you, we've kind of danced around it, especially you have, uh, with what you said there, was the helping people side of it, you know, when, uh, when our content helps other people, that is, that is so cool. And I love hearing those stories, you know, from people listening to the podcast or, um, whatever, you know, however you, you, you run into them or maybe they tell you, Hey, this was really inspiring her. Hey, this, you know, it'd be great if you'd talk about this or, or whatever, I love getting that information. That's that just like supercharges me, you know? Oh, a hundred percent. And and that's honestly, that's a, a big second as to why I, I enjoy doing it so much. It's, it's, I do it because I love it, but I also do it because even if you can get one person, you can get one person to go, Hey, you know, I might give archery a shot, you know, Hey, I might, I might try putting the D loop on myself this time. Hey, you know, I might, I might try building my own arrows. That's right. Always tell people to start when they're like, where do you even start, man? Like a press is 400 bucks. Advice is 200 bucks. You know, how, how do I start? And I always tell them the same thing. I say, figure out what arrows you want, have them order cut. Cause you can order every arrow in the industry cut to whatever length you need it. Yeah. Once you get them in, build them yourself. Go to your local shields, go to your local sporting goods store, get some veins. You can get a really cheap jig on Amazon for 30, 40 bucks. Uh, you don't need to go and buy the hundred dollar Blitzenberg. You don't need to go buy the new Boeing, you know, $150, whatever, whatever the new Boeing is. It looks really sick. I actually wanted to buy one, but I just, I have it. <laughs> uh, but you can, you can get reasonably priced stuff and, and try it. And if you don't like it, if it's not your forte, Hey, no big deal. There's plenty of people that do it for you. Uh, you can buy them pre-built, so no big deal. But it, it gives you a, an insight to, to doing the work yourself. And honestly, I don't know if I've had a single person ever message me back and say, yeah, I tried building arrows. It's not for me. I'm just going to stick to not doing anything else and, and just go out a couple times and shoot a deer. Every single time somebody has messaged me and said, hey, what should I start with? And I point them towards fletching arrows. It could be a week, it could be a month, maybe a year later, they'll message me and say, holy smokes, dude, you, you just pushed me into a rabbit hole, and I don't know if I'm ever going to get out. <laughs> uh, you know, they, you know I, I had one guy that actually got a part-time job in a pro shop because he liked fletching arrows so much. He wanted, oh, to, cool. he wanted to learn more, and now he's, he's a guy that I would probably go and bring my bow to when I mess something That's up because cool. he's just, you know, and so it's like, you just got to start. You just got to try it, and, and kind of like you said, you know, set expectations but just make sure they're realistic and attainable you know yeah. like if, if you're gonna if you're gonna give in on instagram and, and youtube a shot don't expect to get 50 million followers in your first year you know yeah. i mean it, it it happens there's there's people that do that that boom in their first year and they're at 10 15 20 000 followers but 
that's that's the exception that's not the yeah, move so right you just need to make sure that you're you're setting expectations that are attainable because i mean if if i pulled out i had a notebook when we first started and if i pulled out those expectations i would i would have quit after the first year because um, those expectations were extremely unrealistic looking yeah. back on it with the knowledge that I had. And so as I, as I've grown and as I've learned more and as I've kind of figured things out and um, I, I've learned things to do and not to do, I've gone, Hey, this is a lot of stuff that I was doing that I don't need to be doing anymore. This is a lot of stuff that isn't necessary that I was doing for, religiously for a long time. And so you just you have to be willing to adjust fire on what you're doing and you have to be setting realistic expectations uh, because i tell you what, a lot of these guys that you see you know with booming accounts they're not working solo they're they yeah. got a couple people that are helping them they got editors they got producers they have you know camera guys that's one thing that i never even thought about when i started was camera guy yeah. i'm my own camera guy so it's yep. like if I want a cool angle, I either got to pull my wife out, I got to figure out a way to work the tripod, I got to get the drone out. Like it is, yep. it is a lot of work for me to try to get a different angle than than what I'm getting. And so it's like I can either you know just not do it because you know it's I just don't have a second person, or I can figure out how to make it with one person. Yeah. And so you just you just kind of have to take everything with a grain of salt, and you know, like I, I look at elk shape. So I, I've been following elk shape for since his YouTube channel was at 15,000 subscribers, Dan State. And now they're at like 60, 70, I think they're almost at 80,000 subscribers. Wow. Right? wow. And that's, and that's, that's, that's it's, it's super crazy. And it's gone, you know, it, it, it's been over the last three or four years, maybe five years. Um, and I look at the amount of effort that they're putting into it. Dan, that's his full-time job. Um, they had, they had somebody, he had somebody that was editing a lot of his film. And so they were helping out. He's got two or three people that he can go and shoot film with. So he's got camera guys. I mean, I'm not saying it was easy. They, they put a crap ton of work in and I love watching their stuff, but it's like, if, if it's just you and you have cell phone and, and you can shoot maybe once a week, don't expect to have 10,000 followers at the end of your first year. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you have maybe two or three people that, that you're building this with and they all have, you know, different skill sets and different talents and, you know, one's really techie and loves the camera stuff, the editing, and one is an expert in something and the other one's, you know, you have to kind of build a team that you can trust around you or you have to be satisfied with the amount of effort and work that you can put in at, at the stage of life that you're in. Yeah, yeah that's, that's very well said. Um, you know, Talking a little bit more about the archery side of what so Sodak Horizon does mainly archery stuff, but you're also you're a, a hunting channel. I think you would say first and foremost, um, you got a big white tail on your logo. You definitely do a lot of hunting. There's a lot of posts on hunting every hunting season. Um, but as far as the archery the archery equipment goes. Um, you know, you've already given a lot of great tips on what people can kind of start getting into on their own as far as building arrows or fletching arrows or, um, you know, maybe even uh, people could, if they wanted to start tuning their bow, their own bow, they could maybe look around for equi used equipment to save some of that money or whatever. But, um, you know, 
how did you become so passionate about archery? You, to me, you know, hunting. So I enjoy, I enjoy shooting my bow. I enjoy um, shooting uh, guns, but that is not what drives me. What drives me um, is absolutely the animals, you know, trying to figure them out, trying to get where they are. Um, so I would, I would be somebody who would, who, who the weapon side of it is very secondary. Like it's, it's more of a tool to me than it is this, uh, you know, romantic, uh, passionate, um, you know, love affair. Right. Yeah. That you, that, that people get and, you know, like bird hunters really get into like having a over under or side by side, uh, shotgun or, um, you know, uh, people really love messing around with AR platform rifles, um, uh, whatever it is, the, there, there's a lot of people that fall into that, but I don't for some reason. I just, I'm much more, I just kind of see him as a tool. How did you become so passionate about archer equipment? So it's kind of it's kind of a long story. Uh, I'll I'll snatch it as long as I as short as I can make it. So when I when I first started hunting, I think I was I don't know, it was two thousand and four, two thousand and five, and me and my dad were watching the Outdoor Channel one night. And it was Michael Waddell on Bone Collectors, and he was archery hunting elk. And I remember looking to my dad going, there's no way that you can shoot an elk with a bow. Like, it's just, it's too big of an animal. It doesn't work that way. And at the end of the episode, you know, sure enough, he smokes a big elk, and, and it doesn't go 100 yards. It's, you know, the, the, the perfect story. And I turned to my dad, and I said, is that is that real? Like, can you actually do that? And he said, yeah, I know people <laughs> archery hunt all the time, right? Yeah. That's a, it's a whole sport. And I said, I want to do that. And he goes, okay. And I said, no, like I want to do that. And he goes, well, I got an old recurve down in the basement. Maybe sometime I'll dig it out for you. And oh, I said, sometimes cool. today, pop, let's go, let's go <laughs> get it right now. So it was probably January or February, maybe it was March is it in the winter time. And so I, I made him go dig it out. And, uh, you know, it was, it was an old one. It's old bear. I can't remember what it is. Bear, uh, Kodiak maybe okay. Uh, that he had from his Boy Scout years. So it's, you know, it's, it's probably that by now it's 60 years old maybe. And so, uh, and so he dug it out and, and we had to take it to the shop and get it restrung and make sure it was, you know, structurally sound. And then we had to buy arrows and we had to buy finger tabs and we had to buy all the recurve stuff that we needed. So sure. we get home and, uh, and he went out and bought three hay bales, you know, square bales and we stacked them up in our backyard and we put a, a pie plate on it. And so we started at 10 yards and we started shooting the pie plate. And, and when I say shooting the pie plate, I should say shooting at the pie plate. It took us a very long time to hit the pie plate. <laughs> and, uh, and so we did that for, oh, shoot, it was a couple of months until eventually, you know, I could be back at 30 yards and I could hit three or four arrows out of five on the pie plate with a beaker. And so I, I told my dad, I said, what's the next step to this? Like, this is fun and all. I love this. But like, there's, there's the compound stuff too. Let's go get into that. And so he said, you know, when you, when you kill something with a recurve, 
I will take you and we'll go buy, we'll go buy you a, a compound bow. And I said, too easy. Let's go. So that summer I shot a rabbit in our front yard with a recurve and I, I ran to the backyard and I said, dad, I just shot a rabbit. He goes, good one. That's fine. <laughs> Come back later. And I was like, no, it's in the front yard. Like, so he walks out there and sure enough, there's a rabbit stuck to the ground and he goes, all right, you're serious about this. And I said, yeah, like, let's go. So that week we went and bought my first bow, which was like bear element. And, uh, and so I had to come over and just show me the very bare minimum stuff, you know, how to hold it, you know, front grip, you know, where the release goes, what the D loop is, limbs now. And so that's what it was. I started hunting that, that summer because in South Dakota, you had to be 12 in order to take the hunter safety course. And that's okay. when you can start gun hunting. But um, if you if you could pull back forty pounds on a bow, you could start bow hunting. And so I started bow hunting a full year or two before I started rifle hunting. And if that's illegal, it, it, I don't think it was because I didn't read it anywhere. There's no age restriction on archery hunting. Um, and I even went to a bow hunter safety course. And so I'm like double down. Uh, but I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations on that is up anyway. So if you're the <laughs> GFP listing, you don't know who I am. But uh, And yeah. so that, that got me hooked. That got me hooked immediately. So then for the next, I think the first picture I have with a dead animal is with my bow. And it is 2006, I think, October 2006. I shot a doe. And that was the first thing I ever, first deer I ever killed with a bow. And after that, it just kind of spiraled out of control. I just, I, I started loving archery hunting, but you know, back when I had time, I could do all kinds of hunting. And so I always said, you know, my Saturdays were busier than my weekdays because I'd wake up in the morning and go duck hunting. And then I, at around 10 o'clock, I'd be done with that and meet in the field and we'd go pheasant hunting. And then between three and four o'clock, I'd ditch out from there and I'd go deer hunting. So that was what my Saturday Sundays looked like. Hey, that's, so that's, tell, not, that's not a bad way to spend a weekend right there you know and that's and that's what i did you know i'd take a break and go to church and then i'd you know hit the pheasant field or go deer hunting or you know find a, a pond to go duck hunting and so that's that's how i spent my high school years and so you know it got to the point where i'd be going out before school and then i'd just go out after school and, and i was just obsessed with it you know i quit football so i could go deer hunting because wow. i told my dad i said deer you know football goes right through the middle of the rut yeah. i don't want to hunt i want to hunt i don't want to play football and so i quit football so i could i could deer hunt more my junior year and I, I was just obsessed with it and so then i graduated high school and i went to college and straight from college i i went into the army and so i took three-year break from 13 to 16 um and i still came back on leave during the rut and i would i would go hunting um you know, take a couple practice shots and shoot what I could. Sure. And so when I got out of the army, I came home and um, I was kind of lost when I got out of the army. Honestly, uh, I had a bit of a, I had a bit of a drinking problem. Um, mm. And so I, I, I didn't really know where to go from there. And uh, I kind of picked up my bow again and I kind of fell back in love with it. And, and, and at this point I loved it for a different reason. It, it wasn't, it wasn't so much a tool because you know, for the first 10 years I was hunting, that's exactly what it was. I agree with you. It was a tool. You know, I didn't care if it was a shotgun or a rifle. It was, it was a tool. Yeah. Um, but when I got out of the army, I found I found the peace that shooting a bow can bring you. Mm. And just the, the clarity of your mind and just the, 
just the relaxation that 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 whole thing can bring and, and how it can clear your mind and kind of kind of help clarify thoughts and, and your feelings and everything and so i started shooting my bow and, and after that um i just i fell in love with archery and so it wasn't so much about the animals it wasn't so much about killing anything it was you know as ted nugent says the mystical flight of the arrow it was just yeah. i just loved everything about it i love pulling it back i love the hold i love i love hearing that and then watching that arrow sling through the air twirling around and 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 so i started getting more interested in what uh, in what made that happen and how it all worked and so you know in 2008 I, I was married and we just had our first kid and we just bought our first house and so i was like hey it's time to it's time to start getting serious about this archery thing and and so we you know i, I started buying archery gear and 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 as honestly it spiraled downhill from there and the, the one question that i asked just about every person that i talked to is if especially people in the archery archery realm you know yeah, I, I don't yeah. think you'll have an issue answering this question but anybody that has even a, a pinch of the obsession like i do it's, it's a very tough question and i always say if you had to give up one thing what would it be archery or bow hunting so if you give up archery you can bow hunt all you want you can prep for bow season you can do all that stuff but you can't do excessive archery so i would call excessive archery is the year-round stuff sure. but if you give up bow hunting you can shoot your bow anytime you want go crazy with it but you can never take it out to the field so you can still rifle hunt you can still you can still hunt all the stuff you were you just can't do it with the boat so, and so most if, you, of the, most if, of the, if you give up the if you give up the archery the idea is you would still be would you still be allowed to bow hunt you just can't shoot all yes. the time like you're around okay yeah so if you turn into like a you know what a lot of people call uh fair weather hunter so basically you pick up your bow a couple weeks before the season starts you verify everything zeroed you make sure broadheads are flying good and then you're in the stand hunting um, yeah. which that was me that was me for a few years i'm not going to say that wasn't um but i i almost always say bow hunting i give up bow hunting because archery has brought me so much so much more relief and so much more peace and like tranquility and like like time in prayer and time with God than bow hunting has hmm. because I can do that in my backyard. I, I got a range in my backyard where all my videos are shot. I literally can go out there, you know, put the kids to bed. My wife hops in the shower and, and has a devotional. I go out to my range for half an hour and I just have complete silence. There's no cars buzzing. I hear some birds chirping and it's just me and my bow. And, and I'm, I'm just solving world problems, which yeah. is what I do when I bow hunting too. But it, it's it's something I could do year round. It's not limited to the four months that archery season's open. You know, it's not. I, I don't have to you know wait till turkey season after after January one. I don't have to wait till you know you know August twenty or August nineteen for antelope season. I can shoot my bow any time. Whereas bow hunting is so limited. Yeah, that's and true. so it, it's it's a. It, I mean, what would you say? What would you do? I I think I would. I think I would probably still give up the archery if I was allowed to still bow hunt as long as I could, as long as I could be allowed to practice enough to where like I'm ethical, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to the, I'm going into the tree stand with the abilities to get it done, you know, without just wounding animals or missing, missing shots, you know, but, but 
it's a little different for me too because um I'm not like I am a more of a hunting generalist, I guess you'd say, where I fill up a large part of my year with like, you know, different seasons. So so I stay busy year round, but I'm doing all kinds of different stuff that I'm just as passionate about. So like for me, I, uh, if a really tough question for me would be if you had to give up bow hunting or shed hunting, um, I don't know if I could answer that question, but my point is, uh, sheds they're happening at, you know, pretty much right after deer hunting is done, you know, and then once sheds are done, you know, then you can start looking for uh, mushrooms and start turkey hunting. And, you know, I like hunting uh, pheasants in the fall with my bird dogs. And, and uh, you know, so it's a little bit different for me, but I like that. I like, I like how you're able to say it that way, that you can do it every single day. It's, it's something where you don't have to travel to go do. And I totally get that. And that's another thing that's a little bit different about my circumstances. I live where I do most of my hunting, you know, like I, on the farm that I live on is where I do most of my hunting. And so, um, I can almost do that, you know, as long as, as long as my wife is off work so that I, you know, I'm not responsible for the kids or something. I can get out pretty much whenever I want, you know? See, but, and that was a huge push for me too, though, because after we had our second kid, um, I really had to kind of narrow down what my what my focus was. Right. Yeah. And so I, I I still love duck hunting. I love goose hunting. I love pheasant hunting. Um, I, I don't mind fishing if it's good. I love bow fishing. That's fun. Yeah. I like predator control. I, I like all that stuff. Um, but for me, it's like if I'm going to take times away. And, and ask my wife for that time now with three kids. Yeah. It's like I, I have to plan, you know, it's archery. And so yeah. I plan my archery trip out west to go antelope hunting. I plan a few trips to go mule deer hunting. And then, you know, the, the land that I whitetail hunt on is still, it's only about 10 miles away. So I, I can make that happen relatively quickly. Oh, that's nice. But yeah. it's like, yeah, but I still have to like, I have to orientate what I'm doing. So if, I, if I'm switching between, you know, antelope this season and the next week i'm going out opener goose season and mm-hmm. the next weekend it's, it's archery season so i'm going out again and i'm going duck hunt after work it's like i had to kind of limit what i was doing yep to archery only and i mean now it's perfect because all both my boys have grown bows and we go shoot out the range and my little girl already has a bow lined up for her she's just got to be older than six months to shoot it <laughs> my wife has a bow and she comes out and shoots with me and so it's like it's now it's a family event, you know. Yeah. We're taking a we're taking a family vacation at the end of the month to go to Mountain Archery Fest in Utah. That's packing cool. Packing all the bows up, packing all the kids up, and we're going out as a family. And so archery has just kind of it's grown into a so much more than just for me that if I you know, if I had to eliminate all of archery but it's still bow hunting, it just wouldn't be worth it because bow hunting, in my opinion, is such a small aspect of what archery means to me. Yeah, and so it, it's 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 super hard decision, but you know, no, I I I get it for sure. You know, that's and the convenience of it is, you know, that's crucial. You know, I remember uh, before I started my current job, my last teaching job, I was miserable. It was a horrible year. Um, 
just it, 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 it was just a really really challenging year of work and um i remember one day i came home i was so stressed out and uh um what i did was i just went outside got my bow started shooting for a half an hour to try and clear my mind and uh try and forget about how stressful that day of work was and um you know focus on something that that uh like you said could bring me some peace and it did it, it definitely helped so i totally get it i just think you know people are are that you know they're they're wired differently and i think that that's cool you know i think it's i think it's awesome that you love the discipline of archery that much you know and i look at guys like you and guys like uh um you know we'll say cameron haynes or or um uh even uh joe rogan or uh um why can't i think of his name he lives not far from me actually john dudley of knock on um guys that that are so dedicated to archery and are so much more proficient than me. I watch the videos they post. You know, Cam Haynes is constantly posting videos of him shooting these super long range shots with great accuracy or, you know, threading an arrow in between his uh, parked truck and a fence to, you know, hit a target. And, you know, just the, the, proficiency there or you know rogan talks about it on his podcast and and you know when he's he makes posts about it and of course dudley that's his whole business you know and then and then you you're making all these awesome reels i see your range in your yard it's like man those guys are so dialed they've they've just devoted so much to the discipline and i envy that a little bit but i i don't know what it is i think in 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 my previous job i was a biology teacher so I think that that tells something about my natural inclinations. You know, I just love the the nature side of all of it more than more than uh, anything else. You know, that's why I love shed hunting. Um, you know, of course it's fun. Of course it's fun to like pick up sheds, but um, you know, just to being outside and checking things out and doing different things. And you know. Learning. Right. Yep. And learning. Absolutely. And learning. And, uh, so, you know, I think, I think it's probably just a difference in, in how we're wired, but I think it's so cool that you're, you're that committed to it. And, you know, for guys, <clears throat> so I had a, I recently had a, uh, gotta be careful here. I can't give too much of his information, a special ops sniper, um, come on the show and talk about shooting, uh, at, you know, accurately at, at long range, man, is that something that he is just so passionate about? And I definitely want to be good at it. Um, but, but again, you know, my passion isn't as deep there and I, in some ways I wish it was, you know, but, um, it's just so it's so cool that guys like him and guys like you and and whoever else that's really wired that way you're able to be so hyper focused on it and become so proficient see but that's kind of the beauty of, of the hunting industry as a whole though is there's so many facets that you can be hyper hyper focused on because 
I tell you what, it took us a long time to figure deer out, and yeah, and we're hunting eighty acres, and so we're not trying to figure any of those deer out, but the eighty acres that we have, right. And I'll, I mean, that's kind of my dad. My dad is hyper focused on food plots and, and timber and and kind of figuring all that stuff out. And I'm more, you know, you know, I'll come help you set stands. I'll help you plan everything. Uh, and then, you know, during the rut, you know, late September, early October, I'll, I'll show up and I'll, I'll try to shoot a big buck, and, and you know, it'll all be fun. But as far as like the planning the food plots, it's fun. It's not something that I would give up. You know doing archery for it's not something i would you know even necessarily give up you know a day on the range for yeah but it's something that i know is necessary you know same with shed hunting shed hunting i've done a few times found a few nice sheds uh but to me it's like it's it's not something that i'm i'm gonna die over you know what i mean it's not not that passion for it's just you know this is i do this so that i know where deer are dropping sheds at i do this so i know where mature bucks are 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 hanging out at it has nothing you know the passion of finding a shed is fun but it's not it's not there for whereas you that's what you live for you live for all the, the animal focused things and that's the beauty of it is you know that's people like absolutely go go hand in hand because i'm hyper focused on on how what weapon i'm using to kill it and you're hyper focused on where everything's at you know what i mean yep and so it's it's just the beauty of it all it it, you know so many different personalities can mesh so well together yeah Uh, yeah beautifully said there's there's a spot for everybody and and uh yeah that yeah you just you you said it perfectly there we it all goes hand in hand and it all complements and uh yeah i think it's i think it's important not to lose sight of that um you know with with uh a recent interview that i did uh jake hofer of excess trail cameras is on the podcast and uh i asked him you know you're you may you kind of reminded me of this. I asked him because he's really into the land management side of things. Like you talked about with your dad, I said, you know, it almost seems that guys who are big into land management, the skip slides, the Steve Hansons, the, the Jake Hofers now, you know, the, the Grant Wood, the, the, um, Oh man, who's a few others, Don Higgins, you know, some of these guys that have poured their, uh, heart and soul into managing properties for for uh, better deer hunting they almost seem like they like that more than the deer hunting itself and so i asked jake i said hey you know this is my perception do you think that's happening to you do you think you're starting to you know maybe become more passionate about the management of whitetails than actually whitetail hunting itself he's like it's our, that's already happened. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's like, I've, I've already, I'm already more into that than I am into, you know, just going out and deer hunting. And I love that. I love that. I think, I think it's uh, so awesome that, like you said, we can complement all of each other in our own ways, you know, by hunting still being the central focus there, but here's all these different ways you can enjoy hunting. And, uh, I, I just thought that was I thought that was really, really interesting that he um, he he said it that way. So you know, and I I think my dad actually a couple times if I never 
get to shoot another deer again, I'd be fine with it. As long as I can still go out and I can just watch everything that, that I have, like that all, all the hard work that I put into this land. Yeah. But I can go out and watch God's creation come out of mm-hmm. and enjoy. Mm-hmm. I never have to shoot another deer again because it's just so rewarding to see, you know, the, the doe fawn pairs come out, the twins that are, that are bedding there, you know, watching the pheasants run through, you know, seeing kind of the world come alive in this little piece of heaven that, that he's put so much of his blood, sweat and tears into. Yeah. He's like, I don't ever, you know, the, the reward for me is, is you guys coming out. You know, I got, a, I got an older brother and, and a brother-in-law that come out and we go hunting together. And he's like, my reward is, it's getting you guys all together and watching mm. this is this is where you should be at because this is where the deer are going to be and ben we're going to put you over here because you're going to have a closer shot here and, and you know tyler you're going to sit here with the rifle and, and back up during rifle season and jordan you're going to go to this big one and you're just going to watch because they could come out eight you know like having that connection with the property that, that you have i think i think a lot of people like that so much more than than the actual killing or, or the yeah. actual taking of an animal and that's something that you, you definitely have to respect because you're putting all that effort in just for the betterment of whatever species you happen to be working with. Yeah, yeah, that is that is so true. And, uh, you know, I think we can kind of almost get a taste of that now that we're parents, you know. When you get to incorporate your kids into hunting a little bit, you just start becoming more concerned about what gets them fired up and what gets them excited. So I'm sure that carries on there into the example you just mentioned as well. Um, you know, real quick here, we're, we're over the hour mark, so we should probably start winding down here a little bit. But um, all this talking about hunting, I thought maybe you'd have a good hunting story that we could kind of close on. Got, got one in mind that you'd like to share with everybody? You know, I got I got a few from last year, but the one that always stands out to me, I've told it on a few podcasts, and it's, it's kind of the one that I brag on because it's probably the biggest failure that I've had Uh-oh. ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so last year, antelope season, I, I like I said, I, I kind of coordinated this trip out to an outfitter and uh, ended up, you know, nobody ended up filling out, and so I convinced my wife to let me take another trip out, so I had it all planned, and a weekend set aside and about a week before I had this dream and it was this dream of, of, you know, the antelope out West spotting stock. And so we're driving around and we spot this antelope and, uh, I, I get out, I get this 40 yard shot on this antelope and I, I look at my watch and it's, it's eight o'clock. And so I wake up the next morning and I go to my wife and I say, honey, I think I had, I think God just sent me a vision. When I go out antelope hunting, I'm going to shoot a buck before eight o'clock in the morning and we're going to be home before before sunset she goes okay sure whatever <laughs> so fast forward to that weekend uh we're out uh me and two buddies drove out to rapid city which is a six hour drive we okay up another buddy and then we drove to belfouche which is about an hour maybe 45 minutes past rapid city but we left at we left at midnight because I do day trips out west. So I leave at midnight, drive all through the night, get there by sunrise, hunt. And then, you know, between four and five o'clock, drive home and I'm back, you know, around midnight that night. Wow. And so, uh, <laughs> that's a busy day. I, I call it my day trips because, uh, with three kids, I, I don't like being gone for a night. Yep. And so I, I make it, I make it work. Um, and so on the way out there, we hit a deer with my truck 
Uh, and so it's five o'clock in the morning. We're, we're like 20 minutes from a gas station and I'm about 30 miles worth of gas stop. So we smoke this deer, you know, headlight dangling, fender just barely hanging on. We pull into the gas station, fuel up, get duct tape, zip ties, get it all, you know, stretched up, looking good. I pick up another buddy from the area. We head out. So it's, you know, 645, 7 o'clock. And my buddy goes, hey, there's some goats there. I'm like, oh, cool. Hey, they're on public land. Oh, cool. Hey, they just went to a stock dam. This is probably the best opportunity you're ever going to have. I'm like, okay, cool. So I get out. It's about a mile, mile and a half out. I bust all the way out there, walking, tiptoeing, belly crawling, doing all this fun stuff. I get out there and I, I pop behind this ridge of the stock dam because, you know, stock dams are two mounds and then it pulls in. And so okay. I'm behind one of the stock dam ridges and I poke my head up and there's the buck sitting perfectly broadside to me. Um, drinking water, not paying attention to anything, doesn't know I'm there. So I pull my range finder out, range it. The first range I get says 39 yards. The second range I get says 64 yards. And I'm like, you know, there's no way this is 64 yards, but I got, I'm just going to trust my range finder. The range finders has never been wrong before. I'm just going to trust the range finder. I look at my watch and it is 745 and I go, Holy smokes! Almost this, this almost this entire dream Prophetic. that I had coming to fruition. <laughs> just, just the, just the, the, the yardage is off, and I'm like, "There's, just, this is just absolutely nuts. This is crazy." In the back of my mind, I'm going, "There's no way this is a 60 yard shot. Like, you know what a 60 yard shot is? There's no way this is a 60 yard shot." Yeah. And I'm like, "Trust your equipment. Trust your gear. No problem. Dial the sight down. 64 yards. Pull back. Doesn't know anything." And I, it's just, it, when I say it's the, the best release I've ever felt, I mean, it just breaks. It's like a dramatic movie. I see everything in slow motion. The arrow's just twisting, hits a foot above its back. Oh. And I go, oh, it was 39 yards. So they oh. all kind of scatter, and the buck runs maybe 20 yards and stops. So I'm like, okay, second opportunity. They don't know what happened. Pull the range finder out. It says 63 yards. And I go, I'm going to trust it this time. 63 yards seems about right. Put another arrow in, pull back. Everything seems great. Another perfect break. It just everything feels great. Watch the arrow spiral. And this buck hits the dirt. And the arrow goes right over its back. Oh. And he runs away. And I just sat there and I'm like, okay, God, I get you. I should have listened. You told me 40 yards. Yeah. I thought it was 60 yards. I should have listened. It was 40 yards. So I walk back. To, I go get my arrows. And I walk back to the truck, and my buddy's like, "We were we were about to come out and, and meet you out there. Why'd you come back?" <laughs> I said, "Because I missed." And he goes, "No, you didn't. Stop, it. stop it." And I said, "No, I I 100 missed, man. Wrong range, all that stuff." Yep. And he goes, "Well, you suck." And I said, "Yeah, I know." And he goes, "But that's the worst thing that's gonna happen today. So let's get going." <laughs> and we hunted the rest of the day. Barely saw any more goats. Got on a couple uh. more stocks. Nothing else happened, and uh, and so yeah, that was uh, that was that was my that was the highlight of my year last year. So I, I you couldn't do anything but laugh. Yep, yeah. I was just like, man, I I had it laid out on a silver platter, and you know, I just that, that's just how did it not work out. Yep, but that's how it goes sometimes. And yeah, think of the lessons you learned from going through that experience, and and uh, you know things you might you might do differently uh given a similar opportunity in the future you know but yeah that's yep. that's frustrating and 
I always get a little obsessive when I'm ranging stuff. You know, I, it's like, oh, I, you know, I got it to say the same thing, you know, five times. That must be what the distance is. But and the funny thing is, I always do that on the range. I'll range it four, five, six, seven times. Yeah, and just verify it. I'll shoot something behind it. I'll shoot something in front of it. I'll shoot the target, and I'll get a really good like estimation. This that was about the only time I can remember that I've only ever ranged something twice. Yeah, well, and when you're in the heat of the moment, you know, every little movement counts, <laughs> and every every uh, second counts. So, you know. Shoulda, coulda, woulda is what we oftentimes leave ourselves with. But if you really think back to the, how the circumstance probably was, you know, your options were probably, um, you know, pretty pretty limited. So I think uh, I think it's just you know unfortunate. But somehow that, or sometimes that's how the cookie crumbles. So well, well hey man, it's definitely still successful. So got to remember that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast, Ben. Um, if people want to follow along, it's just at Sodak Horizon on Instagram, correct? Yes, at Sodak Horizon on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I got a TikTok page now, so follow along oh, on all of them or go. none of them, whatever you want to do. Yeah, so uh, make sure you do that. I will post his handle in the show notes. Please remember, the show is presented by Spartan Forge the greatest mapping app available in the hunting industry. And Bill is the guy who builds it. And uh, Bill is very smart and very passionate about hunting whitetails and uh, has a, was a career um, army intelligence uh, uh, person. And uh, he uh, poured all those energy or all that energy and all those experiences that he has into deer hunting and uh, uh it's just a, a really a phenomenal app you can of course enjoy the mapping you get the landowner data you get a bunch of different layers but then you can also look into the deer behavior prediction and even some of the newer things that are still yet to release um but will soon and uh so make sure you check that out you can go to the link in the show notes right under the sodak horizon handle somewhere down there in that that list and you can also go to my uh uh profile on instagram and go to my bio and then click on my link tree and you can find a link there for spartan forge as well and then also alex gruen of east west hunts is a longtime sponsor of the show. If you have some kind of dream hunt, maybe you want to do something like uh, Ben did and go chase after some antelope with your bow. Talk to Alex. He'll get you going, not just on your tags and and everything that goes into that, but also um, how to, uh, you know, be prepared for where you're going to go and have the right gear and have the waypoints and be in the right units where you have the best odds. All of that, Alex takes care of. It's a full-service offering that East West Hunts has. And if you decide to do one of those things with East West Hunts, use the promo code FIRSTGEN10, and you will save yourself 10% off your final bill from Alex on uh, you know faithful First Gen Hunter podcast listeners. So make sure you use that code FIRSTGEN10 at checkout. Well, another big thank you to Ben for jumping in on this episode and a huge thank you to you, the listeners. As we said earlier in the show, this is why we do all this stuff. It's for you. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, Please leave a five-star review if you haven't yet, or even a written comment would be great. 
as well. Thank you again to everyone. And until uh, next time, take care and take somebody hunting.